It's 2020. I know, we'd all like to do a control-alt-delete and reboot. The economy's bad. COVID and masks have become political. So many people are out of work. Our elderly and vulnerable are feeling removed from society. So many businesses are folding. Social distancing and curbside pickup are now part of our lexicon. Parents are homeschooling their kids and realizing that the kids' teachers lied when they said that the kids were a pleasure to have in class. Things may never go back to normal, whatever normal ends up being once we have a vaccine for the coronavirus. But there are a few silver linings. Schedules aren't as crazy as they used to be. No more business trips for parents or late nights or weekends at the office. Kids, they're not overscheduled with soccer, piano lessons, scouts, clubs, volunteer work, and other activities so that they can get into a great college someday. And families are just spending a lot of time together and getting to know each other better. It's also a time when so many of us are reflecting upon what it means to be a working professional, what it means to be in business. Now, I have to tell you, I used to think that it wasn't really possible for us to run a national radio network with everyone working from home. I'll tell you, I was wrong. I was so very wrong. We've been doing just this since we all started working from home at Westar in March of 2020. And we are in the middle of a fundamental shift in our workforce. So whether you work for someone else or you own your own company, you have to know where we're headed. As I've always said, if you don't innovate, you evaporate. And to do that the right way, you have to let the data speak to you. You cannot just go by your gut. And to get the facts, I tapped into LinkedIn. You probably have a professional profile on LinkedIn.com right now. It's a great place to network, make new connections, We're going to be talking with Dr. Guy Berger, the principal economist of LinkedIn.com, about where are the best places to find a job and what kind of skill sets do you need? Joining us is Dr. Guy Berger, principal economist at LinkedIn.com. So, Dr. Berger, thanks for joining us. But first things first, what exactly does a principal economist do? I, that's a great question, Kim. I think I have pretty much the best job in the world. Um, I'm obsessed with, with tracking the economy and labor market using, uh, using various data. But, you know, one of the most unique data sources that exists is LinkedIn. And, you know, I know way more about what's going on in the labor market than I ever did uh, before I came. And it's, it's a joy to come into work every day and analyze those trends. And I bet you because, I mean... I like my job because I swear I've never been diagnosed, but I have ADD. But every day is a new day. You know, it's like, wow, this is great. I love technology. But since COVID hit, because we're all working from home, and Zoom doesn't really care where you call home, we've heard of people moving to places like Wyoming or Idaho, Rhode Island, you know, remote areas. And then I was really fascinated because in the New York Post the other day, they were talking about New Yorkers, that they're rushing to rent so-called winter houses ahead of the second wave of COVID-19. And they're going to Miami and Malibu. Um, what does your data say about that? Well, I think it's, a, it's an interesting mix of what is happening. We do see there's obviously been a giant pickup in remote work. Um, and we do see, for example, that, that migration into big cities is slowing. Um, you know, picking the San Francisco Bay Area where I live, for example, we've seen a 6.3% decrease in the number of members moving into the region. But, you know, it's not – where people are actually moving, sometimes they're moving to different locations within the same area when they move. Um, 
there isn't yet a sign, for example, some of these really dramatic changes that, you know, New York or San Francisco are going to, to disappear. These cities have survived much worse crises than COVID, and the likelihood is they're going to do, they're, they're, they're going to survive this as well. I do think the other thing that's interesting is you're starting to see, you know, because people are working remotely and are not in the office and aren't socializing as much in person with people, is that the distrib- geographic distribution of the connections they make is changing. They're they're networking much. They're networking more outside their their metro area or city than they would have in the past because they're not necessarily encountering people in person as much. You know, and that's fascinating to me because you no longer are you really tied, like you said, to a specific part of the region. You're not tied to New York. You're not tied to San Francisco. But when we start looking at what's happening to those cities and the people that are working in these cities. Um, are you finding that, that the cities are now needing to adapt to a different workforce? I think here's the thing about adaptation that's really interesting to me. COVID is not going to be around forever. I mean, it certainly lasts a long time. And those of us that are working from home, it's, you know, certainly speaking for me, it's like, I've, you know, I've, I've been doing it for six months. So, or, so I'm kind of used to it. But at some point, a lot of things are sort of, you know, making people not necessarily want to live in cities. So, you know, not ha- having less urban amenities, having fewer bars open, um, you know, the, having to enforce social distancing. These things are going to go away. And, you know, as far as I can tell, people that are in their 20s are still going to enjoy going to bars and going out, going to movie theaters, going to bowling alleys. Um, and those things are a really powerful force for, for American cities. Now, what it may mean is, you know, maybe working from home is more of a thing than it was, but people still want to hang out in cities and have recreation, and that might change the jobs that are present. But, it, you know, cities are still going to be hubs, right? Um, and it just might be the contours of those hubs going to be a little different. Now, I thought I read um, I thought I read that Facebook was going to start looking at salary reallocations because if you didn't live, quote-unquote, in a uh, really expensive part of the country than and if you were a systems engineer, but maybe instead of living in Silicon Valley, you lived in Boulder, Colorado, that they would adjust the salary accordingly. What have you seen with that? Well, so I think it's still really, really, really early days to think about how companies are going to adapt. I think right now companies have a lot of flexibility and, you know, working from home maybe for a lot of them has gone better than they expect us to be remote or open to it. But the pendulum swings. You are, I also read an article today that many banks are starting to nudge their employees to start, many banks in your city are starting to nudge their employees to start coming into the office. Um, I think that it still remains to be seen what the world, when people are no longer worried about COVID, what that world looks like. And, you know, whether people, once, once that goes away, they're like, you know what, you know, I need to go to the office more often than I thought, or my boss wants me to go to the office more than I was recently. And once that happens, I just, I guess I personally am less convinced that the entire, the world that we see now is exactly the world that we're going to see in 12 or 18 months once, you know, the pandemic is much less of a risk. So is that what you think it's going to take a year, two, year and a half before, quote unquote, whatever normal comes back to? It could be, it could be shorter. It could be longer. A lot of it depends on treatment. I'm an economist, not an epidemiologist or virologist. <laughs> um, but, 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 but I think the thing is, like, that seems like a really long time, I understand, from from perspective as an economist. I'm thinking, you know what? Like, that it sounds to me like a ch- change that is definitely not permanent. Um, and that, you know, the world that we look at, you know, in, in 2023 or 2022 
might actually look not so different than the world that we had in 2019 or 2020. And I think that, you know, that's why, like, we don't yet see the data that suggests we're experiencing huge permanent changes. That's going to take a while to evaluate. Hey, don't forget, if you've got a good question about something digital, you can get Kim's unbiased advice. And it's advice that you can trust. America's digital pro, Kim Commando, and our nationally syndicated radio show. You just go to commander.com, and in the upper right-hand corner, click on the Be a Caller button. We're going to ask you your name and for a couple of details about your question. We'll set up a time where you can be on the show, ask your question on the show. It is fun. You can call your friends and let them know that you're going to be on the show. And that's, again... The Be A Caller button in the upper right at commando.com. And just ahead, Kim and Dr. Berger talk about how the job market during today's pandemic compares to that of the 1918 Spanish flu, as well as how the job market is recovering. Stick around. You don't want to miss this. It's tech you should know. So is there any correlation, doctor, with what we're going through now? Because so many of the news media folks, they say, well, you know, this is like what we went through in the 1918 Spanish flu. Do you see any correlation with the data and the recovery times and what people were doing? I mean, obviously, totally different economic scene, totally different environment, no technology, nothing. But is there any correlation with that? Well, I think you, I think one thing you said, which I think is absolutely right, is it um, it was a very different time. The economy looked a lot different. It was much heavier on agriculture and manufacturing than it is today, where you have you know the, the overwhelming majority of people in the U.S. economy work in services. Um, I think back in 1918, 1919, I don't know who who if anybody could have been working remotely, for instance. Um, so I think that just gives you a hint of how much has changed. I also think this is. You know, well, well, this is a very serious illness that it does not match the severity of that, that illness as well. Um, but I guess what, what, what I would throw out there, just thinking about um, how this is going to impact things, how it compares to last time, is if I go back and think to, to you know, what I learned in high school and in U.S. history, we spent a lot of time on the Roaring Twenties. We spent a lot of time on World War One. I. I, my recollection is I don't even remember when we discussed the, the 1918-1919 flu. Um, and if we did, it was like an asterisk. We barely spent time on it. And my only perspective there is this was an extremely severe event that, as far as in retrospect, at least the history books, rightly or wrongly, basically spend very little time on, at least at the high school education level. Um, that kind of suggests that these things are somewhat less durable in, like, the public imagination that they feel at the time. And so to me, are people that live through this going to remember it? Yes, but you know, I think in terms of like it's going to have this gigantic impact on on history and going to radically change the economy. You know, twenty, thirty years out, it didn't happen last time with an even more severe event. You know, and and that's really an interesting perspective because when you were saying that, I was thinking to myself, you know what, I really don't remember hearing about the Spanish flu, like you were right, like it's an asterisk. It wasn't really like, you know, the, the roaring 20s and the flappers and the music. And then we got into the depression, you know, it wasn't really, oh, uh, yeah, there was the flu, too. And let's talk about, I'm certain that you're, you're tracking hiring data. Um, obviously, small business have had the biggest impact. What do you see the recovery time for that? It's a really good question. So, I think that, 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 that I'd say a few things are true. The first one is upfront, e- 
economists were very pessimistic back in April and May about the prospects for recovery. And I think it is true that, that, that you know, the recovery started earlier and has been somewhat stronger both in the U.S. and abroad in terms of hiring than a lot of economists thought. Um, and, you know, I think we're still, you know, quite a bit below in terms of hiring flows relative to where we were before uh, the pandemic hit. But we're also closer, I think, to, to back to where we thought we were. I think we're down something around 10% both the serial level. We're closer than, than I think a lot of people in this at this point. I think there's a separate question, which is um, how, you know, is, is this really fast pace of recovery that we sort of see, relatively fast pace of recovery we saw during the spring and early summer going to continue, or is it going to slow down dramatically? And I think, you know, there are reasons to be, to be worried about that. As far as small businesses, what was interesting to me about our hiring data was they took a hit earlier and faster than bigger businesses. And I think, you know, initially we were really worried about them. And I think there's still stories about a lot of distress in small businesses, you know, whether some of them are struggling to stay above water, worried about layoffs. But at the same time, I'll just throw out there that we've seen a fat, like the recovery, just like the decline in hiring in small businesses was faster. You know, the, 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 the turnaround was faster. I think you could kind of think about it like if you're running a large enterprise, it's a little bit like, you know, trying to reorient a fuel tanker, right? Um, you, you turning down, reducing hiring is, it takes a while because a lot of internal processes and the bureaucracy takes time to wrap, ramp up again when things get better. Whereas in a small business, it's easy to turn off the tap, the hiring tap, and it's also easier to turn it back on um, once business prospects improve. So it's just really interesting to me that we've seen this, you know, this segment look really pessimistic back in March, April, you know, improve so dramatically since then. So... Yeah, that's a, you know that's a really good point because I didn't really think about that because obviously I have a small business, right? You know, at our peak we have forty employees, and when COVID hit, we had to get rid of the entire video production team. Okay, well, you know that was a, that was a big portion of the staff because we did a a weekly Bloomberg television show, and it's you can't really social distance, you know, in a small TV studio. Um, but I have to tell you, the team that remained. And it's still here. We've hired, I think, two people since then that um, they've, they're doing phenomenal. I never would have thought that everybody could have moved and pivoted so easily and so quickly. We had a couple of people just through attrition saying, like, they really weren't prepared to work at home, you know, because it's a different psychological aspect. And whereas they thought they could handle it, they were like, no, they really weren't disciplined enough to do that. But being a small company... And obviously, we're not in the restaurant industry. We're in the broadcast industry. And because of technology, it allows us to a lot of this at home, just like, you know, when we were setting up and getting ready for your interview. I mean, I'm pulling out the Comrex and the Memrex and hooking everything up and getting a microphone out of the cabinet and putting it in. And, it, you know, whereas, you know, a year ago, I probably would have called Mike and said, hey, Mike, can you figure this out? And can you do this for me? But now it's now it's just second nature because I can do all this stuff. doesn't mean that we will we never need Mike and we don't need Mike. It just means that our skill sets have uh, accelerated. And so it's a lot of more hands-on. Now, when we're looking at um, hiring data, is there a huge difference between large corporations? Because everybody, you know, you, you see these lists about, you know, here's 100 companies that are hiring remotely versus small companies. Well, I think that the, I think the key difference, and actually – I, I really enjoyed your story because I think that's actually one of the things that is happening in the labor market. We're seeing this sort of like, you know, this recovery to some extent is there's actually a lot of adaptation 
um, going on in the labor market. A lot of companies that, that you know, on March 5th were saying, wow, there's no way we can do things remotely and then have, you know, over time to figure out more fit, more and more fixes, some technological, some non-technological to adapt. And I think that's sort of what we're seeing. If this goes on for a long time, we're going to see more and more adaptation. It's just people are like that. We're very resourceful and just give us enough time and we'll figure it out and think of ways to, like, generate economic and social value that nobody even ever thought of before the pandemic. Um, so, you know, I think that's, that's kind of a, you're, 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 what you're telling us is the microcosm of that, right? It's like people rescale, they find new things they can do. Um, and I think that's just, we've always been with human history and the economy going back to, to, you know, God knows when. But I think thinking back to, to your question about business sizes, yeah, as I said, Small businesses, somewhat interestingly, are the ones that really recovered hiring the fastest. Not something that I would have anticipated back in April when they were doing more poorly, um, but for sure. And I think that that medium and large businesses have been slower to ramp up hiring. Hiring in large and medium businesses is still down by, give or take, about um, 20% versus small businesses that are much more closer to where they were pre-COVID. I think it's really interesting what, what, what I find fascinating is the question of, is it the same small businesses or is it a different kind? But essentially, like what we talked about in terms of, you know, businesses reorienting themselves, if some small businesses really got hit, you know, think about restaurants, they got hit really hard. Um, and a lot of them probably, unfortunately, m- might not have survived or maybe still be in trouble. And there are other small businesses, you know, starting a small business when you spy a niche uh, that, has economic, that presents economic opportunity, even in the midst of a pandemic, as long as you have the resources, you can do it. And so simultaneously, while one group of small businesses is really struggling, another one is just rocketing up and scaling up. And I, the question to me, I guess, and think about it, is let's say, let's say we're right. And, like, you know, some point in whether it's 12 or 18 months, you know, vaccine is widespread or it's really good treatment, people are no longer worried. Like, does the economy essentially have to do the reverse? Like, then suddenly you're like, well, now I'm going to really start a bunch of restaurants. And some of these new companies that are sort of very well tailored to the COVID world suddenly actually that opportunity shrinks because, you know, there's people are want to go back to the gym in person or all sorts of things that right now they're maybe not super comfortable with. You know, it reminds me of a, a gentleman that I had on the air. Uh, his name's Aaron, and he owns Mr. Holmes Bakehouse. Okay. Um, when COVID hit in March, April, he was, he was supplying all the bread to say 80% of the restaurants in Los Angeles. He had just opened up a baking facility and a distribution center in San Francisco, and he was eyeing Singapore and Hong Kong next. Okay. So his business is thriving. He's doing, oh gosh, I think he told me he was doing between three and $4 million a year in bread in Los Angeles. Okay. He's got 65 employees. Okay. Now, suddenly, restaurants close overnight, right? So what does this guy do? I think it's a phenomenal story of innovation in that he calls his employees in and he says, okay, well, here's the whiteboard. We have to figure out what we're going to do because if everybody wants their jobs, obviously we're not baking bread for the restaurants. And on the whiteboard, they start thinking of various ideas. Well, what he ends up doing is selling a yeast kit to make your own bread. And it's a living yeast. And so once you sell it, then you keep making bread and keep bread and making bread. I'm not a baker, obviously. Okay, I'm, I'm a geek. But what I thought was innovative is that he put this up on Spotify. And at some points, he was doing 25,000 orders a day and making $100,000 sometimes every couple of days. Whereas before, you know, 
he could have just folded. But it's the innovation that I think, and like you said, the adaptation of being able to move so quickly with a small business, um, which I, I just, I'm just fascinated by people's ability to do that. I had a guy on the, uh, on the air with me. His name was Steve Walsh. He was a bartender in Boston. Okay. He's an Irishman. Okay. So what he would do is he'd have trivia night at the bar in Boston uh, three or four nights a week. Well, COVID hits, no bar, no trivia. Steve takes his business online and has Walsh trivia and does two Walsh trivia games a day, charging $500 a, a game. Okay. okay, I love that. I just think it's so great. Hey, if you love this digital stuff and you love to be on the cutting edge of what's going on, sign up for Kim's Breaking Tech News. So we've got security alerts, we've got data breaches, and much more digital know-how. It's the free Commando newsletters. and You can get yours, again, free at commando.com, which is K-O-M-A-N-D-O. And on the top, click on the Get the Newsletters button, and you got it. And just ahead, specific tips and skills for you to focus on while job hunting during this pandemic. It's definitely tech you should know. Talking about just skill sets. Are there specific skill sets that if, if I'm unemployed, because not everybody has the ability to turn bread into yeast or trivia bar into a Zoom call, uh, which he's done for the UN and any other places in Bank of America, he was telling me the other day, that you know, are there certain skill sets that people should really have right now to get a new position you know, before we turn back to normal, so to speak? Yeah, it's a really good question. So the first thing I think we need to be upfront about is this is a more challenging labor market than we've experienced in quite a while. And, you know, there's still an enormous amount of layoffs going on every month. If you saw in, in the, the jobs report that the Bureau of Labor Statistics released last week, we actually saw the number of people on permanent layoffs is still going up. Um, even as overall unemployment is going down, it's, a high, it's at its highest level since um, 2012 or 2013. So it's still a challenging world out there. And so, you know, I, I kind of, I always think about this, this idea of what skills people need is like, if you're, you're a listener and you're having trouble finding a job, you're not alone. Like it's a hard thing. And it, it, it doesn't have to do with skills. It just has to do with the fact that like there are a lot of job seekers and not that many jobs right now. Um, so I just wanted to, to get that out of it. In terms of things that people that, that, you know, our skills are useful for people to know. I mean, as always, um, what I tell people is that it's really useful to have good soft skills, communication skills, listening skills, the kind of thing that like even, you know, even if you're not in the office are useful skills to have um, and digital literacy skills. And I think we used to think about those in terms of like knowing how to use spreadsheets or, you know, word processor. Microsoft Word. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, um, but, but I think that, um, I think that that's interesting that now that that digital literacy has another dimension, which is knowing how to work effectively remotely. Like, you know, how do you effectively communicate? You sort of these two worlds merge of soft skills and digital literacy skills. How do you communicate effectively on Zoom? How do you collaborate remotely? Um, those things have become more significant, including a lot of jobs that historically have never used them. Think about um, actually the two examples you came up with, which is, you know, for example, the, the baker or the person running trivia contests, like they probably had to 
get come up to speed on certain kinds of like um, social media and other technology fast when you are adapting. You think about industries like health, uh, like wellness, for example, like people are teaching fitness online or healthcare and telemedicine that have actually, it seems to me, have actually been pretty effective in adapting. You would not have guessed these industries would adapt as quickly as they have, but they have adapted. And a lot of that is because people are learning these new skills, allow them to do things similar to what they were doing before, but remotely. Um, and I think those things are really important and are new relative to the advice you would have given people two years ago um, when they were looking for a job and what skills they should learn. So how do you how do you demonstrate those skills? I mean, obviously, when you have a Zoom call, you know, you have the background and you look good and you, know, you got good lighting, you know, things like that. But when when you're I mean, are there any like key secrets that we could pass along to folks? I'd say that here, here's my feeling about this. It's, it's, I don't, it's interesting because we're like, well, how do you teach people? Look, in this goes before, like, you know, we tele, telecommunication skills were, were a big thing. Like, how do you teach people soft skills? How do you teach people digital literacy skills? I mean, there are courses out there, you know, shameless plug, you know, LinkedIn also has courses on how to do these things effectively on LinkedIn learning. Um, but, but I think just generally a lot of it's just doing these things and practicing, right? Like, how did did you or me learn how to use a spreadsheet or you know or do do, do a word processor? Just part of it's a lot doing it a lot. And so if you're employed, hopefully you're you're doing some of these things regularly and you're just kind of getting better at it, more comfortable at it. If you haven't, you know, things like, you know, joining networking groups where you're on Zoom calls and you learn how to present yourself or like, you know, other groups to help you work on your writing skills or communication skills. Like that's, I think, really where, you know, leaving aside the coursework that you can take, I think like learning by doing is so powerful with a lot of these like, you know, very important but less academic skills that people need in the job market. Yeah, and that's, you know, those are all really good points because you're right. I mean, you know, it's it's practice makes perfect. I have a, a couple of gals that I'm mentoring uh, at the studios and you know it's they hate it, but I go through their their presentations and um, their podcasts, and when they're on the air with me, and then we go through, and it's like reliving the horror. You know what I mean? <laughs> so this was great, this wasn't good, and it's hard for people to watch yourself. But if you really can watch and listen to yourself, you really can learn uh, some things that you could be doing better. Um, moving back to just the data for a sec, if I am looking for a job. What's large companies? Is is it showing that the data is there? Obviously, more than smaller companies. No, as I said, I think that that that, um, small companies are actually like really are higher ramping up hiring a lot more than small companies. I mean, more than large companies. Large companies are you know are just being they're increasing their hiring much more slowly. It may be that they. Initially, we're just really slow to let go of staff, and as a result, and slow to cut down on hiring. And so maybe they—they, they, I don't want to say they overloaded because you know I think that unemployment is still really high. So I don't like to think about companies having too many people employed. Thank God that, that that they're keeping as many people employed as they are. But but to some extent, if you didn't cut back as much when things were bad, you know you might not be in a situation where you really need to ramp up when things are getting better. And so to some extent, you can think of it as large businesses maybe smoothing their hiring cycle more than small businesses. Um, it may also be that you haven't had much of a pivot from those. I mean, it, it, with a small company, 
you can pivot what you're doing very radically and just cut one sort of staffing hiring that you're doing, ramp up another one quickly. But with a big company, you can't just say, you know what, we were making toaster ovens yesterday and now we're going to switch to ventilators, right? Like it's, it's hard. Like it, that might be difficult. And, you know, you're just, you have this big legacy of what you've been doing that's still happening. And so that slows the degree to which hiring can be super cyclical. And so I think right now, you know, if it, like, Essentially, where's hiring picking up the most? It's picking up with with the small businesses that we track. That's interesting. That you know, I could I could see that um, because, like we talked about in the beginning, that you know we're not going to have this mass exodus out of our major cities. If I am looking for a job, does it matter where I am right now and where the company's headquartered and where the job might be? I think right now it matters a lot less than it did in the past. I do think that there's a question, you know, whether companies are. Companies have different philosophies on this remote work world. As you said, there are companies that have decided, you know what, we're going to support you working remotely in perpetuity, even after this ends. And that could last. I think there's some companies for whom this works so well that they really do deliver on it. Some companies will potentially reevaluate as, you know, more and more of the workforce starts turning back to headquarters, which approach works. And there may be a mix in a lot of cases. Um, but I think, so, 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 so my answer is right now, I think there's been a huge equalization between people that live really close to the headquarters city and people that live further away. I, it's a good question how much that reverts to where it was, where like living close to headquarters is a big advantage um, three, four, five years down the line. Um, and my suspicion is the pendulum is probably going to swing back somewhat, but probably not all the way. So you're confident that we're going to make it through this in the economy well? Yeah, I'm confident. I think, I mean... I don't. I never want to dismiss a really challenging situation. I think for both, you know, leaving aside very elevated unemployment, it's still, you know, near the levels where it was the peak of the prior downturn. Um, and not only that, like a huge amount of social distress for people, and the health risk, like the health risk that people face, including a lot of the, you know, the, the essential workers that have been going to work every day um, since this crisis started, and essentially are risking their health. Um, or face the choice of between their, their health and their being able to pay the rent. Um, but I do think in the end, we've survived. We're going to survive this. We've survived really difficult times in the past. I don't want to, you know, without discounting the pain, we're, we're really, resi- human beings are really resilient and Americans are really resilient. And, you know, I think that we're going to, you know, if we're fast forward 10 years, this is going to be in the rearview mirror. Dr. Berger, thank you so much for sharing your insights with all of us. That was really great stuff. No, thank you so much for having me here. It's, I mean, hopefully your listeners find this useful, and um, it's been a real pleasure. With almost 30 million Americans filing for unemployment, so many people are searching for work. And the way that people are getting hired is changing. For example, online retail giant Amazon has created a free, first-of-its-kind virtual career fair that could help you land a six-figure job and one-on-one career coaching. It happens on September 16th, in just a few days. And just like a regular in-person job fair, there are workshops and speakers. Amazon plans on hiring 33,000 new corporate and tech workers at an average compensation. This is just average. Get this. $150,000 a year, which includes salary and stock. At commando.com, we keep you up to date with work-for-home opportunities that are legitimate, and that's key. You just can't Google search work-for-home and I need to make some money. What I'd like you to do is go to commando.com and use the search on our site with this special phrase, looking for a job. That's right, 
Just go over to commando.com and use the phrase, once again, looking for a job. I'd like to thank Dr. Guy Berger from LinkedIn for sharing his time with us. It was great to have him with us. And full disclosure, LinkedIn is an advertiser on my national radio show. But even if they weren't, I would have had Dr. Berger on this podcast. He's just so smart. He's fabulous. And thanks goes out to Mike James for putting it all together and to Ali Seligman for her help in posting to social media and also on our site. And really, thanks to you for listening. We appreciate your support of all of our programming. And if you're looking for the podcast for my three-hour weekend show, you can try it for free for 30 days. After that, it costs a few bucks a month. Just head over to getkim.com. Once again, that's getkim.com. And thanks so much. Thanks so much.